Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. Our lives should revolve around what matters to Jesus Christ. In this Christmas Day message, Pastor Andrew unpacks Paul's letter to the Philippians and reveals more of the nature of Jesus. So as I was reflecting on today's message, I just felt God saying, I want you to tell them who I am. But also that within the church over the last few months there's been some extreme confusion and contention. And how do we as a church and as people within our church about what we're on about operate within the environment that we're operating in. So having those two issues to look at, I thought I would turn to Philippians 2. And in verse 20, Paul writes, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. And there it was. What is it that we're on about? We're on about what matters to Jesus Christ. So what I want to unpack this morning is one, just who Jesus is, which is the critical thought. But then what it is that he wants of us, but not only of us, but of those whom we're bringing into the kingdom. What is God wanting of them? We understand as we have sought to reach the people's expectation, we understand their background, we understand the nature of who they are, but we really haven't touched on what it is that God expects from them. One of the difficulties with the passage is there's an introductory part that talks about us as a community. It talks about whom we ought to be, in our attitudes, and then it goes into just who Jesus is. And then it's the last section after that that begins to give us an understanding of just what it is that God wants us to do. Paul is basically trying to get us to a place where he wants to introduce Jesus and what he wants us to do with Jesus So he encourages us in his words to be encouraging of one another. Have you ever had times when you felt like you just wanted somebody to notice? You've been working hard, you've been at it all, you just wanted a little bit of encouragement to go on to the next bit. And so we need to be encouraging of one another. We then need to comfort one another in God's love. I don't think we do that a lot. We do a lot of things. 
But I don't think we actually see ourselves like giving comfort to one another. Basically giving some level of emotional and spiritual support. And then having fellowship with one another. We do that to a certain extent, but there are times when we just can't get there. So it's not just getting together. It's getting together around God. It's taking the sense of what we do here in church and to extend that. And being open enough to tell God's stories. What you felt God had been saying to you during the week. Even if it seems off the planet. You know, I have conversations with God and I'm thinking, hey, this is a really great God, but is it just my imagination? Yeah, that you're talking to me. And sometimes it probably is. But other times it actually is God just whispering into our spirits an understanding of who he is, but an understanding of what he's trying to do through us. Have fellowship. To have tender and considerate hearts, and this is a hard one, isn't it? Not to be judgmental. All of us make mistakes. All of us fall short somewhere. And even at times when we are trying to do our best, trying to be the best. And it's at that point that we need people around us that have tender and considerate hearts. So there are people in your midst across the board, that need from you and me a tenderness, a consideration. And then work together with one mind and purpose. And I mean across everything, but it means that there's a singularity in what we're doing. We each contribute to it in different ways, but there's a singularity about it, that we're doing this together. And then don't be selfish. You know, and that is really an instruction that challenges us because we're born selfish. That Jesus came to the cross because we are born selfish. And there on the cross he did something that enables us to breach selfishness in our life. Be humble. Count others better than yourself. Means lift them up. And then look to the interests of others, not just your own interests. Help others out in their endeavours, their visions, their plans, their projects. So then Paul comes to Jesus. And it's not just saying, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. He introduces it by a challenge, which I hope by the end of this morning we've got a gist of just how we might take that up. And this is, he says, have the same mind or attitude that Jesus had. That's the challenge. The same mind. Now, I don't think Paul is saying, hey, Jesus is the example to follow. Of course he is. But that's not what Christianity is about. Because we actually just can't do it. 
Jesus is such an example of the love of God, of purity, of innocence, which we can't emulate, no matter how much we try. That's the point. Israel, God's people, could never fulfill its own laws, its own aspirations. Time and time again, it got caught in the religions of the world around them, caught in the affairs of the world around them, caught in the immorality of it. And we live in the same type of world that challenges our morality, that challenges our integrity, that challenges our attitude, and we fall short. So how can Paul say, hey, have the same mind that Jesus had when we know that in everything that we've tried to do for decades, we just don't make the mark. We just don't get there. The point is, we actually don't do it in ourselves. That's why Jesus came. He came because we can't do it. But then his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead and him coming into our lives, he knocks at the door of our heart and says, can I come in? When we invite him in, he enables us to do everything that he did. His power through the Spirit of God that comes to us enables us to do the very things that Paul is about to call us to do. That without Jesus, and without that invitation into our hearts, and without the power of his Spirit, we actually can't do it. So as we come to an understanding of having the same mind in Christ, it is the same mind that is given to us through Christ himself. You know, at the end of the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. So when Paul says, have this same mind, as Jesus had, he actually literally means it. We actually are given the mind of Christ in the empowerment by the Spirit, in the coming of Jesus into our hearts, in the engulfing of our lives by the power of the Spirit. Jesus imparts his own mind to us so we can begin to do the things that he did and express the incredible love of God that he expressed in extreme circumstances. So who is he? And Paul wants to make this really, really clear. Jesus is God. Without a shadow of a doubt, he was in the form of God. Jesus is God. He is the son of the ever-living God, he is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everything. What an awesome God. But he did not cling to his equality with God. There was a job to be done. It wasn't the Father that could come. It wasn't the Holy Spirit who could come. It was the Son who had to come. He was the right one of the Godhead to come. 
And so he let go of his equality with God. He let go of the divine privileges that he had and took human form in the baby Jesus that we've been celebrating. I don't know about you, but when we were singing the song and the baby Jesus didn't cry, sometimes we idealize Jesus, and that's a mistake. I'm sure he cried. And Mary could have told you, he cried. I can assure you, he cried. He's a baby. A real human baby. Yeah, God baby, but real human. He took real human form. What's and all. And he wasn't handsome. Isaiah tells us he wasn't handsome. He wasn't physically attractive to the point that you just want to be with the guy. Now his attraction came from the depths of his being, of who he was, that overwhelmed the physical attractive issue. So when you look in the mirror and you think, oh, why did you make me like this, God? Think this, that what you're physically looking at isn't who you are. Who you are and the beauty you have comes from what's inside. And when you let what's inside out, when you let the true person God made you to be come out, forget the physics, forget the physical looks. Jesus was a real person, took real human form. And then in that personhood, with the same challenges, the same needs that we have, he was absolutely obedient to God, without a doubt, in every way, to the extent of accepting the call to go to the cross. And then God raised him from the dead. And here's the powerful thing, that every knee on the planet Every person who has ever existed is going to have to kneel before Jesus. And every tongue that has ever existed on the planet is going to call him Lord. And you know, the choice that we have is we do that now willingly and engage an incredible love relationship with God that Jesus enables us to have by what he's done for us. Or when the time comes, we're going to have to do it, whether we want to or not. And that's not a good place to be in. That when he comes, and when the time has come in God, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, it's better to have done it willingly and be a part of his family than have to do it, whether we want to do it or not. So having unpacked that for us, Paul then goes on and says, now this is what God wants from you. You want to know how to put this same mind as Christ into practice? Do you want to know what it is that God is asking you to do? Paul gives us a number of things. Firstly, 
to obey God with deep reverence. Not simply to obey him because you twist your arm or that we think we better do it. God doesn't call for our obedience out of fear. He calls for our obedience out of love. And if we get that right, then we're going to find obedience is something that we enjoy doing, not because we have to, but because we want to. We want to get this right. We want to get it right to the extent that when we start to move and to act, we're moving and acting in God. And we're moving and acting in what he wants and how he wants it. Not just a matter of doing what he wants, but making sure we get a sense of how he wants this done. You can do the will of God in an angry and forceful manner. That's not what he wants. He wants his will done with a sense of love and affection and respect for those that he puts into our midst. To do this, we need to depend on his power that is at work in our lives. God is at work inside of us. Even in the darkest time and darkest place, God's power is at work in us. And he's at work in us because he wants our light to go on. He's the light of God coming into the world in the baby Jesus. And when he rose from the dead, his aim was to put that light in you and I. And he wants the light on. We're a light out there. We're not going to hide the light. We're going to make sure that that light shines bright because as that light shines in us, it undoes the power of darkness. Darkness cannot overcome light. It's why Jesus says, let your light shine brightly out there. Then to desire and do what pleases God. So I don't know how you pray, and we all pray differently. But somewhere in our prayer time, we need to say, God, what can I do that would please you today? What would give you pleasure in my doing? And do not complain or argue. Now, when I first read that, I thought, okay, God doesn't want us to argue with him. Sorry, no, that's not what he's saying. Don't complain and argue with people. Now, hold on, that's not fair. Surely we should be able to argue with people. I think, yes, we can. But to be argumentative and complaining cuts the edge of what God is wanting to do through us. And this is a powerful one. Live clean, innocent lives. In the context of our world at the moment and the context of the church we're operating within, the larger church. Not everything that's going on out there is clean. And not everything that's going on out there is innocent. That's not making judgments. It's just the reality. That's what darkness does. That's what evil does. 
So this challenge to live clean and innocent lives, we can only do that through the blood of Jesus. We can only do that through Jesus in our hearts. And constantly coming back to him when we miss it or we are overwhelmed or that we've done something wrong, compromise in the sense that we've watched or heard something that just makes our insides feel dirty. And there's only one power on the planet that can solve that. And that is the blood of Jesus. The cleansing blood of Jesus in our lives. Live clean. Shine like bright lights in a world full of crookedness and perversity. And don't be perverse ourselves. We live in a world that is perverse, so we need to understand that's the world we're living in. Don't idealise it. Don't sort of say, the world ought to be like this. And the church ought to be like this. Yes, every which way. That is all true, but it's not reality. The world is not perfect. And the church is certainly not perfect. But what we want to do is be the people of God within a perverse world making and challenging that perverseness and destroying it. And sometimes that's going to mean that when you're in conversations that become perverse, you're going to say, excuse me, really? Remember Robert Schuller talking about a young executive and he'd been appointed to the board of his company. It's his first day. And the chairman of the board gets up and begins to propose a project that is just a bit off. And every member of the board went around saying, yes, yes, yes. And this young guy was the last, and he says, I'm not sure. And you know what the chairman did? He scrapped it. Just one young, new person saying, I'm not sure about this, and it got scrapped. So you're in the midst of perversity. You're in the midst of crookedness, and you're feeling this is not right. Just say, hey, I'm not sure about this. And watch what happens. As light breaches darkness, breaks through it, overwhelms us, dispels it. Hold on to the word of life. Come back to Jesus here. Jesus is the word of life. Hold on to him with everything that you've got. Do not let him go. Do not let go the grip that you have on being his person, being his servant, being his follower, and being on about what he is on about. Paul says, hold on so that I don't run in vain. There's a passage that says that everything you do in God is not in vain. There are times when you'll feel that. You need to remind yourself that nothing I do in the Lord is in vain. That it has eternal effect 
that I might not see in the natural, and I might not see in this world. I'm sure that as we do the works of God, as we do what he wants, it has effect in heaven. It has eternal effect. And then where we started, all others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. So as we come out of Christmas and we celebrate the birth of the Son, let us make the focus of what we do what matters to Jesus. Now it's going to take some time and prayer to get a hold of just what matters to Jesus. But to persist to make sure that our life is engulfed with it. That it's the very thoughts of our mind, the very breath that we take, that I simply want to do what matters to Jesus. Just pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son that we might not perish but have eternal life. Help us to take a hold of the person that you're calling us to be and, Lord, to bring people into your kingdom with the same purpose and the same heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.